0: Welcome to the ESC this year from Amsterdam, the city of charming canals, cycling, and attractive architecture. There were five new guidelines, tens of sessions, and 30 late-breaking clinical trials. In this episode, I've handpicked just seven trials. I made the choice based on the importance of the topics and the ability of the results to shake up the practice or challenge some of our dogmas. It's going to be a packed episode, so grab your coffee and get ready for a healthy dose of science.
1: Welcome to Cardio Buzz, your one-stop shop for all things cardiology. We bring you the latest news and research on heart health. Whether you are a physician or just interested in heart health, we have something for you.
0: Some of the trends are positive and some are negative, but in both cases we learn. I'll be presenting the trends in an ascending order of importance, like a countdown, saving the most impactful one for the last. So here we go.
1: Trial number seven, STOP-DAPT-3 trial.
0: STOP-DAPT is a bold trial. For years, we strive to shorten the duration of dual antiplatelet therapy DAPT, and that can mean everything to a stented patient who bleeds while on DAPT. But here, the brave Japanese researchers designed a study not to shorten the duration of DAPT, but to replace it by SEPT, single antiplatelet, immediately after stenting and completely omit aspirin. I think the investigators were encouraged by a previous trial called the AZET trial that was on a small number of low-risk patients, and the trial used only prasugrel without aspirin. And that trial didn't have any stent thrombosis and had very low event rates, and the patients were low risk anyway. So the investigators in STOP 3 decided to take it to the wider world of STEMI, ACS, and high bleeding risk. They also used the Japanese dose of grill which is one-third of the standard western dose. The surprise finding in the Stop Dab 3 is that omitting aspirin did not reduce bleeding events compared to dual antiplatelets as it was expected. But of course, grill alone resulted in more thrombotic events and more stent thrombosis. So this trial is unlikely to change any practice. We know from the early days of stenting 30 years ago how miserable the outcome would be with just one antiplatelet. And Stop Dab trial just reinvented the wheel. We We need dual antiplatelets for one month at least. The trial is a nice reminder that the aspirin we're trying to sacrifice is not the culprit behind bleeding in ACS
1: trial number six quest trial
0: another study from asia we usually view herbal medicines as pseudoscience and at best unstudied chemicals with annoying drug interactions but it seems the world is changing in addition to the classic four therapies that improve the outcomes of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction china came with the fifth therapy it's called chili Chin. the study called quest trial randomized more than 3,000 FREF patients in China and Hong Kong to placebo or to chili Chiang Chin, which is given as 4 tablets 3 times daily. Yes, 12 tablets per day for 18 months. Patients in both groups were well treated. 90% were on a diuretic, more than 80% on a RAS blocker, more than 86% on a beta blocker, and 57% were treated with ARNI. The herbal-based medication reduced heart failure hospitalizations by 24% and reduced mortality by 17% and these findings are quite similar to what we see with ARNI or SGLT2 inhibitors. So what does that pill contain? Chilet Chiangxin is actually a complex pony pill with 11 herbal components that seem to have diuretic effects, vasodilator and cardiotonic effects. It interacts with digoxin because it also has a herb of cardiac glycoside. Anyhow, we could be witnessing a new era in medicine. I'm not sure when or how will this therapy be available for widespread use, but I'm sure it's gonna be very interesting to see how the FDA and other regulatory bodies will respond to this promising therapy.
1: Trial number five, NOAAFNET 6 trial.
0: Atrial high rate episodes are short, infrequent runs of atrial tachyarrhythmia that are detected by pacemakers, defibrillators, and implantable loop recorders. They resemble atrial fibrillation. These high atrial rates are detected in 30% of elderly patients with an implanted device, and they've been associated with the development of ECG documented paroxysmal AF and increased risk of stroke in prospective studies. Honestly, I used to personally take the safe side and anticoagulate some of the patients with brief episodes of high atrial rates, particularly those with heart failure and left atrial dilatation. But that was not evidence-based. Here, the German investigators in the NOAA AFNET trial randomized more than 2,500 elderly patients without a known diagnosis of atrial fibrillation and they had device-detected atrial high-rate episodes of 170 beats per minute, lasting six minutes or more. And they had a median SHADVASK score of four. They randomized them to Edoxaban, which is a good NOAC or placebo. The study was stopped early because Edoxaban did not reduce death, stroke or systemic embolism. Rather, it increased the chances of death or major bleeding. So the results indicate that patients with atrial high rates on the implanted device should not be prescribed anticoagulation unless atrial fibrillation is diagnosed on an ECG.
1: Trial Number 4, STEP-HFPEF Trial
0: Heart failure with preserved ejection fraction (HFpEF) is increasing in prevalence and is associated with serious functional impairment. Between 40 to 80% of HFpEF patients are obese, and that even worsens the symptoms further. In fact, obesity could be considered a cause for HFpEF. Other than SGLT2 inhibitors, we don't have therapies with a strong evidence base. Also, no therapies have been approved to target obesity-related heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. We already have semaglutide Ozempic that is approved for obesity and diabetes in the STEP HFpEF trial. The researchers from 13 countries randomized 549 non diabetic patients with symptomatic heart failure, ejection fraction more than 45, and a body mass index more than 30, either to once weekly placebo versus once weekly semaglutide for one year. Semaglutide resulted in 13% weight loss compared to 2.6% with placebo. That's expected. Semaglutide also improved heart failure symptoms as measured by the questionnaire. It also helped patients with HEFPEF walk 21 meters longer on the six minute walk test. Semaglutide also lowered C-reactive protein 43.5% versus 7.3% with placebo. All of these benefits call for a change in our understanding of obesity as a mere cosmetic issue but rather an inflammatory condition with a major burden on the heart. We wish to have a bigger number of patients so that we could better judge the hard endpoints of heart failure like mortality and hospitalization but I think we have good evidence now to prescribe semaglutide for half half obese patients even without diabetes.
1: Trial number three, frail AF study.
0: Warfarin is almost dead, except for mechanical valves and perhaps in patients on dialysis. We all shifted gradually to NOACs over the last fifteen years because of the convenience, efficacy, and lower bleeding rates. We don't need to test and adjust the dose or worry about food or drug interactions. So, is it farewell for warfarin? The answer is no, and it comes from Netherlands, a randomized multi-center trial of more than one thousand frail adults with a mean age of eighty-three years who were already on warfarin guided by INR. They were ran randomized to either continue warfarin or to switch to one of the NOWACs. And the study was stopped early because switching from warfarin to a NOAC significantly increased the risk of bleeding. And this is a surprise finding which is against all what we thought in the last 10 years on NOWACs versus warfarin. How would these results reflect on clinical practice? Well, the Dutch have got exceptional quality of anticoagulation services, and INR testing could there be easier than other healthcare systems. But after these results, if a frail patient bleeds or noat, I will shift her to warfarin with close INR testing. If we have a frail elderly with non valvular atrial fibrillation, we could choose warfarin with close monitoring rather than a NOA. And if an elderly, frail patient is happy with warfarin, then I don't think we should disturb her. One more thing we need to hold tight to the warfarin dose modification skills that we are about to lose.
1: Trial number two the ECLS shock trial.
0: Cardiogenic shock remains the biggest challenge in acute myocardial infarction and ACS with a mortality rate exceeding 50% even with revascularization. The German investigators in the ECLS shock trial randomized 420 patients with acute MI and cardiogenic shock to either VA, ECMO or usual care. They tried hard to choose a realistic but viable group of shocked patients by excluding those who are above the age of 80, anyone with limited life expectancy or with more than 45 minutes of resuscitation, patients with severe peripheral vascular disease And those with mechanical causes for shock. Half of the ECMOs were done after revascularization and the other half were done either before or during the procedure. At the end of 30 days, the mortality was similar in both groups, 48% with ECMO, 49% with usual care. So ECMO unfortunately didn't do any good. Actually it caused harm by increasing the risk of bleeding and major vascular complications by more than double. It's a big failure for ECMO and it's a big frustration for cardiogenic shock. Thinking of Impella, the shock trial didn't give outstanding results and here ECMO fails again. So up till now in cardiogenic shock, start vasopressor, open the vessel and see.
1: Trial number one, nitrate CIN trial.
0: Contrast nephropathy is one of my personal nightmares. It deters many patients who are in a dire need for cath from going to revascularization. And the only tool that really works is hydration and probably statins. We are not sure of the mechanism or the long-term implications. We were not even sure that the nephropathy post cath is due to contrast, and that's why this study is unique. In the nitrate CIN trial, the investigators from London thought of something different nitric oxide. Previous research showed that nitric oxide is deficient in contrast nephropathy. So they thought of replacing nitric oxide before cath by giving oral inorganic nitrates that are then metabolized inside the body to deliver nitric oxide to the areas in need. They recruited 640 patients with non-ST elevation ACS and high risk of contrast nephropathy because of their age, diabetes, chronic kidney disease, heart failure, or liver failure. They randomized these patients to once daily potassium nitrate or placebo for five days. And of course, all patients were well hydrated before and after the procedure and were given low osmolar contrast. After a median follow-up of one year, that simple treatment with inorganic nitrate once daily significantly reduced contrast nephropathy rates by 80%, which is a huge reduction. That was not the only surprise. Inorganic nitrates marvelously lowered the rates of procedural myocardial infarction, they improved the 3 months renal function, and they reduced one-year mace by 50%. An interesting fact here is that inorganic nitrates are readily available in green leaves like cabbage and beetroot. And the 12 millimol dose tested in the trial is equivalent to two B-through shots. I know we will need further studies on inorganic nitrates, but I would personally think of advising patients to try those B-through shots until I get hold on the inorganic nitrate tablets. I would advise them to do that before the procedure. It won't harm, but it might save a kidney and it might save a cardiologist.
1: Thank you for being with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of CardioBuzz. If you did, give us a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel and to the podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to check out our other episodes for more information on cardiovascular health. See you in the next episode.